Proverbs chapter 3. Don't forget, next Sunday night, um, we'll be out of Proverbs because we'll be having the, uh, the Reformation celebration. And then the Sunday after that, Brother Art will be preaching for us because he was sick today. And then so I'll be back in Proverbs again uh, in three weeks on Sunday night. So Proverbs 3, last week we did 1 through 10. This week we'll do 11 through 20. Proverbs 3, 11 through 20. The Bible says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things that uh, thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. The Lord, by wisdom, hath founded the earth. By understanding, he hath established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing on your word this evening. We ask for your Holy Spirit, Lord, the presence of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the direction and guidance of the Spirit, Lord. Speak to our hearts, Lord, as each person here has need tonight. May that need be met in the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the emphasis of our text this week is on wisdom and correction. I thought it was kind of interesting that I fell on this text because just our last question and answer night, this came up. I think, Tom, you read this one, right, Tom? We were in Hebrews 12. I think we read this too. Yeah, yeah. so I'm glad, it came. I'm glad we got to discuss it before it came up tonight. It kind of gave us some familiarity with the subject. Uh, but the emphasis tonight is, on, is wisdom and correction or discipline. Okay? This is not by mere chance or design. We gain wisdom through discipline. We may not appreciate it at the moment, but it does teach us how to behave and how to make better decisions. I've told you guys before, when I was a child in our Christian school, they spanked us. It was... A good practice you can't do anymore, but they spanked us. If we were out of control, if we got so many demerits, we got spankings. At the time, seven, eight years old, I can tell you I did not appreciate the spankings. But looking back at 41, I'm grateful for them. They taught me wisdom. They taught me discretion. They taught me knowledge that I would not have gained otherwise. They taught me self-control. They taught me to stop and make better decisions than I'd made in the past. And so wisdom comes through correction. It comes through discipline. It comes through discipline. It's really just discipleship. This is why discipline in the family is so important. We need to teach our kids to be wise and make good decisions. We punish our kids. The first thing they say is, you're being mean to me. No. If we're being mean to you, we let you do whatever you want to do. We let you go your own way. We correct you because we want you to make better decisions. We want you to make wise decisions, not foolish decisions. I've said before, in those years I was in the prison, I met a lot of men, a lot of men who received no discipline, no correction throughout their lives. And it led to lives of bad decisions. And some of them, while they're in prison, they learn wisdom, they learn discretion, they learn honor and things like that. You know why? Because in the prison there's discipline. They can't act how they want to act. They can't say what they want to say. They have to follow rules. It teaches them to follow rules. I've had men, grown men, tell me, preacher, I wish this had happened when I was six and seven and not 40 and 45. I wish I had somebody at a young age who loved me enough to stop me and correct me and say, that's not the right way. That's not the right decision. But they're left to themselves. They're left to themselves. A lot of times they came from broken homes. And so you ended up with either a, a father who wasn't there, so a mother just kind of gave them everything they wanted, or you ended up with a broken home where you had the mother and the father competing for their love, right? And giving them whatever they want, so that, that way they're the favorite parent. That destroys lives. That destroys lives. We must have discipline if we're to have wisdom and understanding. When I was a boss in the workplace... I'd have to discipline people. I didn't discipline them because I hated them. I didn't discipline them because I wanted them gone. 
I would discipline them so that they wouldn't be fired. I discipline them so they do a better job, make better decisions, not break the rules. I had one guy that just was, <laughs> I don't know how you describe him, but I'll just say foolish for now. And in his first four months there, he had, I had to give him seven write-ups, disciplinary write-ups. And finally, I pulled him aside. I said, man, on one of these, you know, what you do, you know, for those of you who've been a boss, you know, to get fired, you have to write them up so many times for the same offense, right? So he had seven, but they were all like different offenses. But he got one where he was one, one disciplinary action away from being let go. And I said, no, I said, you've got to make better decisions. You've got to learn. This is not a never-ending cycle of discipline. At some point, it comes to an end, and you, you need to make better choices. Make wise choices. Last time I checked, he's still there. It's a promising sign. But there's a purpose to discipline. It's to teach wisdom and understanding and to teach people to make better, right decisions. The purpose of church discipline is not to hate somebody, is it? Listen, church discipline is necessary. The problem with some churches is they don't practice it. That's why the churches are the way that they are. That's why they tolerate sin so much. But there's a purpose of church discipline. It's not to punish somebody. It's to correct them. It's to draw them back. The whole purpose of church discipline is to take a sinning saint and to say, no, no, come back on the path of wisdom. Don't follow the path of the world. Don't follow the path of folly. Come back onto the path of holiness. It's to draw them back. It's not to punish them. It's to disciple them, to teach them how to live properly as a believer. So let's get into our text. Verse 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. I think this is placed right here in light of the previous verses outlining the blessing of God. We saw that last week. The Christian life is not all blessing. There are dark times. I should say the path of wisdom is not all blessing. If it were, we would stray from the path. Can you imagine a Christian life where it's all blessing? All good times, all the time? Always having plenty? What would happen to us? What happened to Israel? We'd become self-reliant. We'd be boastful. We would think it's by our own goodness or our own ingenuity that these blessings have come to us. So there's ups and there's downs in the Christian life. There's a danger to continual blessing. And God knows that. There's a danger to continual blessing. Turn over to uh, Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30. There's a danger to blessing without discipline. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. The Bible says, Remove far from me vanity and lies... Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. There's a real danger in the blessings of God coming to us and us having so much that we say, Where, Who is the Lord? I've done this. I've accomplished this. There's a danger of the blessings of God leading us away from God. We become self-sufficient and we begin to trust in our own might. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to read a lengthy passage there, but it's, it's, it's important. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We have an example of this in the scriptures. Let's start in verse number one. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. So you notice that the testing, the time in the wilderness was testing the hearts of the people and humbling the hearts of the people. 
There was a purpose to what they were going through. It wasn't all blessing. It wasn't a rosy pathway. The Christian life is not a rosy pathway. There are ups. There are blessings. There are times of fulfillment and filling of the Holy Spirit. And there's times where God feels distant. There's times where we feel alone. There's times when maybe our friends are distant from us. There's times where the blessings seem to fade away. Those are times that God gives to humble us. Because if he doesn't humble us, our heart will be lifted up with the blessings that we receive. Let's go on. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, or bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he giveth thee. Beware, thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly homes and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth out of the rock of flint, who brought water forth out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good in thy latter end, uh, at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Remember, remember, or, sorry, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. What a stern warning for Moses. You're going into this land. You're going to build good houses. You're going to dig things out of the land. It's going to give you treasures and tools to build. You're going to eat bread without scarceness. Be careful that you don't get there and forget the Lord. And say, we did this. We did this. By the way, they did that, didn't they? They got there. What did they do? Immediately, they turned from the Lord. Joshua is a, a book of great conquest. They take the land, don't they? And then in Judges, every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And there's nothing but war after war after war after war. Why? Because they got it in their heart that they did those things. By the way, that's why it's important for us to rehearse to our kids and our families the great things that God has done for us, lest they rise up and not know the things the Lord has done for us. There's a great problem with that in the church. Christian parents see God do great things, but they don't share it with their kids. And their kids grow up to be unbelievers. You know why they grow up to be unbelievers? Because they've never known the Lord. They've never seen him. They've never seen a miracle done. They've never seen an answer to prayer. We need to rehearse to our kids the things that God has done. I don't know how many times, a couple of months ago, when the Lord brought us here, I would say that it was so undeniable. It was so, there was step by step so many things that God did that, that couldn't have been done by us. That, 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 and, and on these car trips, we rehearsed them over and over again to our kids to the point where they say, why are you saying that again? Why are you telling that story again? Because we want you guys to know that God is real, that he leads, that he guides, that he opens doors, that he does things for us. Rehearse those things. Say, I don't have kids. Then rehearse them to your friends, to your neighbors, to your grandkids. Tell everyone you can what God does so that when they grow up or come in contact with the Lord, they have a basis. They know that God is powerful. Hey, when, when they got to the land, what did people tell them? Rahab, well, we've heard what God did at the Red Sea. We know that your God is the true God. We've, we've heard what he's done. You want, you want to go out here and share the gospel with somebody? It helps that they've already heard the good things the Lord has done. 
We know your God is a true God. I mean, look at what he's done. I had a man come in one time. You can go back to Proverbs chapter 3. I had a man come in one time to a, a prison service. And uh, after the service, he wanted to meet with me. And uh, so we, we sat down. And he said, Preacher, won't you tell me about Jesus? I said, Okay, where do you mean to start? He goes, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know anything about him. Never been to church. Never been around religious friends. Just start at the beginning. So I started back in Genesis 3.15, the first promise of, of the Messiah. We spent two hours going through the scriptures. At the end of it, he said, I don't usually come to, to service. I said, yeah, it's my first time seeing you here. And uh, I, I said, do you mind what brought you here? He says, well, he goes, my, my Sally is a guy who is a three-time sex offender. Three times. He got out, did it again. Got out, did it again. Right? Three times. He goes, he's, he's wicked to the core. Praise to Satan. He's evil. All his thoughts are dark. Murderous thoughts. He goes, about six months ago, he came back from a church service. He goes, he was never the same. I mean, he was, he was, he was different. He was singing songs. He was singing the hymn, Sunlight in My Soul. You guys ever heard that song? It's in our hymnal. Sunlight in My Soul. From a man like that. He goes, he reads his Bible every day. And he keeps talking to me about all the ways that he was, all the things that he did. He says, he keeps talking about all the ways that God has changed him. And he said, if a God can do that, he must be God. Two hours we sat and went through the scriptures. You know why? Because somebody told him of the great things that God had done. He saw the work of God in someone's life. He says, that's the true God. If there is a God, that's him. He changed this guy. He got saved. He got saved. Because his celly was telling him nonstop the wonderful things that God had done in his life. Share with people what God does for you. Share as we have our testimony time. Let's share with one another the things that God is doing, the things that God is teaching us or showing us or, or opportunities brought along our path, ways he's guided us. Because we're going to build each other up that way. If you have kids, tell your kids. If you don't have kids, I'm looking at you, Melissa and Kim. When you have kids, tell them the things that God has done for you. Rehearse it until they're tired of it. Because they need to hear that. They need to hear that. The problem with Israel was they didn't share those things. They didn't tell their kids of the wonderful works of God. And so these generations rose up who didn't know the Lord. They didn't know of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to talk about it next week at the uh, King Josiah. Right? The first great reformation of the Bible. King Josiah, they found the book of the law. And they read it. And he goes, oh my goodness, we're not doing any of this stuff. Understand what I'm saying here. He was about 18 years old, I think, when that happened. The king of Israel grew up never knowing what the law of God said. Think about that. We're going to have whole generations, if we're not careful, of children growing into adulthood in the church who don't know who God is. We already have that. We're seeing the effects of it in a lot of our churches today. They don't really know God. They don't know the wonderful works of God. That's why I've been encouraging you guys. Get these autobiographies. Get these biographies of these great, these great Christians of the past. Hear what God has done. Jason, I was talking yesterday. He's been blown away. Blown away. You know why? Because God has done great things. We don't know about it. Say, well, God's never done anything great in my parents' life. They didn't tell me about it. Then, 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 then forget about it. Grab a biography of someone who did do something great in their life. Listen to what God did. See the mighty works of God. That was off topic. Let me get back on topic. Don't despise the chasing of the Lord, he says. Don't hate it. It's for our good. Don't be weary of his correction. This means don't give up and walk away. 
because the Lord disciplines, endure it patiently, grow from it, learn from it. I've seen people come under the discipline of the Lord and they just kind of give up. Don't grow weary when the Lord corrects you. He's doing it for your holiness. He's doing it because he loves you, because he wants you to be holy like he is holy. He wants you to stay on the path of wisdom, not the path of folly. Because as we saw a few weeks ago, the path of folly leads to destruction. Verse 12, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Discipline is from the Lord a sign of love. Those whom he loves, he corrects. This should bring great comfort when we're under discipline, by the way. Great comfort. I told you guys, I think it was last week, we are talking about the, the spankings of the Christian school. I never, as much as I hated it, and it hurt. My principal was a bodybuilder. He had some strength. I never felt unloved. Never. And he'd wrap us in a big hug and breathe heavily on our neck. And he would weep. I'm not lying. My memory serves me correctly. He would weep with us over the tears we shed over being spanked. It hurt him. That's an old saying. It hurt him worse than it hurt us. I believe that. We felt his love. Even to this day, I look back. I think he loved me. He wasn't just doing a job. He loved me. We're still Facebook friends today, all these years later. A parent who doesn't correct their child hates them, not loves them. Proverbs 13.24 says, He that spared the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. God loves his children, which means he corrects and disciplines his children. In Job 5.17, the Bible says, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. You're happy when God corrects you. You know why? Because it brings you back in the path of righteousness. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. Let's look at a couple others together. Revelation chapter 3. You notice a theme in, in Revelation and the, the letters to the churches. The main theme is repent. I think the only church he didn't recommend that they repent is uh, Philadelphia. Every other church, there was a call to repentance. A call they weren't doing what they ought to be doing. They're either involved in sin directly or they just left their love of Christ. Look at Revelation 3.19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He's telling the church, I'm not doing this because I hate you. I'm not doing this to put you down. I love you. I love you. Therefore, because, that's what therefore means, right? In light of what was previously said, the next thing. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So if you, Christian, are disciplined by the Lord, I think you'll know when you are. What do you do? Be zealous and repent. Be quick. Be quick to repent. Be quick to repent of that sin. Whatever it is that God is correcting you for, repent. He's not doing it to punish you. Right? Jesus Christ took all of our punishment on the cross. There is no more punishment due to me because Christ took it all. So God has no retributive punishment towards me at all. At all. My sins, past, present, and future, were put upon Christ. He suffered. So when God comes along and he chastises me for my sin, he's not punishing me. He's saying, son, I love you. Come back this way. It's dangerous over there. Destruction there. The end of that path is death. Come back over here. Come back to this path right here. He's, he's bringing us back in. He's discipling us. He loves us. What do we do? Be zealous. Be quick. Repent. Right then. Right there. In that moment. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. This is the, where Hebrews quotes Proverbs. We read this a couple of Saturdays ago with the uh, question and answer. Hebrews 12, 
I'm going to start in verses 5 through 8. The Bible says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Listen, if you don't experience the discipline of Christ in your life, you should be very concerned. Very concerned. Because it's here, all are partakers. Whom he loves, he chastens. I don't know about you guys, I have not reached sinless perfection. You guys, I'm going to blow your minds. Your pastor's not perfect. Honey, I'm going to blow your mind. Your husband, I know, is, 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 are you sitting down? I'm not perfect. The Lord chastens me sometimes. Sometimes I hear that voice that says, repent, that was wrong. That thought was wrong. That word that you said was wrong. That attitude that you have is wrong. Repent. But that just tells me, you know what, I'm a son. <laughs> I'm a son. If I didn't hear that voice, if I didn't have that feeling of conviction, I might be a little concerned. I've talked to people who say, I've gone years and the Lord has never convicted me of any sin. Be careful. You might not be a son. So I take rejoicing when God corrects me. Because it reminds me, I am a son. I'm one of his. I'm a Christian. But because I'm a Christian, I must be zealous and repent right away. Right away. Look at verses, five, or verses 9 through 11. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not, not much rather be in subjection of the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which were exercised thereby. Once again, when I got spanked as a child, at the time it was grievous to me. But afterwards... It's yielded fruit unto righteousness. And our earthly fathers, they, they, they chastened us after their own pleasure. I like that. After their own pleasure. In other words, we were annoying them. We were embarrassing them. We were giving the family a bad name. God doesn't chasten us because we embarrass him. God chastens us for our holiness, that we can partake in his holiness. It's for us entirely. When I correct my kids... Normally it's for them, but sometimes it's for me. I'll be honest about that. My dad, if he watch, is watching it, I'm sure he'd say the same thing. There were times when he probably wasn't thinking, I want Rick to be holy and righteous as he grows up. There's times he was thinking, you know what? He's getting on my nerves. He's going to get a spanking on his backside. That's okay. But what I'm saying is, even if their motives may not have been completely pure, God's are. God does it for us. He wants us to partake in his holiness. By the way, the same book of Hebrews says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. That's why he doesn't let us wander down the path of folly. That's why he brings us back. That's why he convicts us and chastens us in our sin. Because he knows what's down that path. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3. Verse 13, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. There are two ways to look at this verse. I'm not sure that only one is true because I think that both make sense in light of the context of the passage. But let's, let's look at the first one. How do we find wisdom and understanding? Right? Largely through discipline. The same way a child learns these things as they grow up. It's to do it through discipline. We gain wisdom and understanding through discipline. Therefore, happy is the one. Let me look back, let me look back at the verse here. I want to misquote it here. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. But they get that through discipline, right? Through correction, through chastening. 
Uh, they don't come through hard. Uh, they, they don't come through times of blessing usually. The hard lessons of life come through times of discipline, times of struggle. Uh, George Mueller always said that uh, without great testing of his faith, his faith wouldn't grow. He goes, sometimes the Lord leads me with no answers for a long time because he wants me to keep asking for my faith to grow. So if he answered me the first time, I wouldn't grow. There's great trials that come with great faith. Most of the time, the lessons that bring wisdom and understanding are learned the hard way, not the easy way. Through trial and heartache. I've learned more. Um, I've had great moments in my life. Marrying my wife. It's a great moment. Getting called here to pastor, great moment. My ordination, great moment. You know what? I, I didn't gain any wisdom any of those three moments. You know where I gained a lot of wisdom? When my mom died. Boy, the, the valley of, of heartache and trial and tears. But boy, the lessons it brought to me. I learned so much. I learned so much. You know where I became a good employee? Not at, my, not, not at the job I was at for seven years. Where I left on good terms. The ones where I was fired. Heartache, sadness. But I learned. I gained wisdom. We learn, we grow in the hard times. That's why it can't all be blessing. There's nothing to learn in the blessing. We don't learn on the mountaintop. We learn in the valley. We learn in the struggle. So yes, we enjoy the blessings, but we need the difficult times, the trials, the heartaches, the chastening. The second way to interpret this verse is in light of the previous verses, but it applies it differently. This way says that the man who finds wisdom and understanding is happy because they keep him from habitual sin and therefore from receiving the discipline of the Lord. So there's two ways to look at this verse. I think both are apt in, in application. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding through discipline. He's happy. He's joyful. He's learned. But happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding before the discipline. It keeps him from the discipline, from the chaste thing. I think both are true. Some get these things and it keeps them from sin. Others, they get it as a result of the chastening of their sin. He's now going into the benefits of wisdom and understanding, which lead to happiness for the person who gets them. Verse 14, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. This is a beautiful reference to, uh, to wisdom. It's more profitable than silver. The merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver. The shops and the marketplace will merchandise to get silver, right? That's what he's saying. They'll work hard to, to get silver, to get gain, to get earthly gain. He says wisdom, the merchandise of wisdom is better. Seek wisdom. Trade. Buy and sell wisdom, right? Trade wisdom. Learn from people. Give wisdom to others. It's more valuable than silver. It's of greater profit to you. It gives a better return than gold. People spend so much of their life investing into the gold which perishes. I'm not saying it's wrong to have money. We talked about this last week. It's not wrong to have money. But it's wrong to invest our lives into this world's good with so much eternal treasure waiting for us. To give our lives. People are giving their lives to be rich and wealthy and famous and for position. They want to be known. They want to be recognized. I mean, professing Christians pouring their lives into this world. And then what's going to happen? The economy crashes and they lose everything. Or they die and they leave it to somebody who just wastes it anyways. Make money. Support your families. Do a good job at work. But don't give your life for the gold and silver of this world. But for the wisdom of Christ. For the wisdom of Christ. Don't invest your life into that which has no eternal value. Give yourself into gaining more wisdom and understanding in spiritual matters. Let me give you a couple of passages. and uh, I'll have you turn there. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Turn to a couple of passages real quick. And then kind of land the plane, so to speak. 
Matthew 6, and you know all these. Verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your heart is set on this world's goods, I should say if your treasure is in this world's goods, your heart will be in this world's goods. If your treasure is in the kingdom of God, your heart will be in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either you hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You say, Pastor, are you saying that we can just live like George Mueller and rely on the Lord? Absolutely I do. And Corey Tinboom and Reese Howells. All these biographies, these are people who trusted the Lord, who looked to the Lord to provide for them, and he did. They're not special. I think if you read Mueller's autobiography, he says it over and over. I'm not special. I'm not different. I'm not a special Christian or a special class of Christian. Any believer in Jesus can live the way that I live if he seeks the Lord. The principle here is, not that we, is that we are not to live for wealth or serve wealth. We are not to stockpile wealth in such a way that we don't trust the Lord. The Bible makes it clear it's not wrong to have money. It's wrong to love money. If you have money, then share what you have with those in need. Be free to give to the Lord, but don't serve money. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I think we were here last week. We'll, we'll go over it one more time. Before we go back and finish up Proverbs. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 5, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdrawals. And there, there's a whole bunch of Christians today, just turn on your TV, that gain is godliness. We are godly. Look how much God is blessing us. Look how much we have, right? That's how Laodicea was in Revelation chapter 3. They were rich, increased with goods, and needed nothing. And Jesus says, don't you realize you're poor and miserable and blind and naked? You have nothing. Well, they have this world's goods, but Jesus had no respect to that. He says, spiritually, you're bankrupt. You're bankrupt. Say, if God was really blessing me, I'd have lots of money. No, no. That's not, not necessarily true. Now, God can bless with lots of money. But that's not a sign of God's blessing. Let's go on. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation, and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. We know these things. Don't love money. Don't trust the world's goods. Pursue godliness, which you can't pursue if you're pursuing money. Do you notice that? that? That takes repeating. He tells him right here. 
the love of money, the root of all evil, with some code after they've erred from the faith. But thou, man of God, flee these things. What things? The love of money. And pursue righteousness, faith, godliness. You can't do both. You can't serve wealth of this world and the kingdom of God. It's almost as if he's saying you can't serve God and mammon. He is. It's exactly what he's saying. What if you're already rich? Is it a sin to be rich? Look at verse 17 and 18. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So we say, well, is it a sin to be rich? No, it's not. What do I do if I'm rich? Be generous. Give freely. Don't be high-minded. Don't trust in your riches. Trust in God. Invest more freely in wisdom and understanding than you do in this world's goods. If you have or attain this world's goods, then invest them into the kingdom of God. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3. We'll finish up there. Proverbs 3. Wisdom is of greater value than gold or silver. And by the way, a reminder as we go through Proverbs, what is wisdom? We've talked about it over and over again. Wisdom is Christ. He's the personification of the wisdom of God. Right? So Christ is more to be had than this world's goods. He's worth more to us than this world's treasures. It was uh, one of my favorite Ravenhill quotes. Where he says, we'll no, long, we'll no sooner step out of time and into eternity and gaze upon the riches that are in Christ and realize that we come to the judgment a pauper because we poured so much of our lives into this world and then left it behind. And then we go to the eternal kingdom, we find we have nothing laid up there, nothing stored there. Don't give your lives for this world, folks. Pour yourself out for Christ. Verse 15, she is more precious than rubies, talking about wisdom, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. God's wisdom and understanding are more precious than the precious stones of this earth. Nothing we desire can compare to the worth of the wisdom of Christ. It's worth more than all of this world's good. That's why in the parable we see the man sell all that he has to buy this field with the hidden treasure, right? He saw this field full of treasure, well, buried treasure, hidden treasure. He sells all that he has so he can buy the field because he figured that the, 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 the treasure that's buried there is greater than what he already had at this world's good, right? Well, that treasure is Christ. That treasure is Christ. He is of greater, what's the lesson there? We sell all that we have. What does that mean? We leave our sins behind. That means we leave this world behind and we give up everything we have to gain Christ. That's the parable. Solomon, he attained all that this world has to offer. Right? Solomon. There is nothing a man could want that Solomon didn't have. He had fame. He had wealth. He had no cars, but he had chariots. He had palaces. He was so, so rich, they didn't know what to bring him. They brought him apes and peacocks. You ever been so rich that people just bring you apes and peacocks? He had women and sex and all these things that we crave after. He had all of them. And what does he say? It's all vanity. It's all striving after the wind. It's all emptiness. <coughs> when he sums up his life at the end of Ecclesiastes, what does he say? Conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God. Keep his commandments. That's it. Not this world's goods. Not money, not sex, not fame, not position, not palaces, not vehicles, not gifts, nothing. Well, Solomon, you want to sum up Ecclesiastes? I wasted everything. <coughs> Sorry, my throat's gone dry. I wasted everything. The treasure was Christ. I have to be saying the treasure was Christ. Solomon strayed from the path of wisdom, chased after this world, got to the end of his life, and realized he never gained the true treasure. Now, he was, a, he was saved. I believe Solomon went to heaven. I think he repented at the end of his life. 
But what a waste. I think Solomon today sits in heaven looking at the riches that are in Christ and realizes, I'm broke. I'm broke. There are widows who will die today, godly ladies who have given their lives to prayer and fasting and the service of the church, who will have more of treasure in heaven than Solomon has, the wisest man who ever lived. Honestly, it doesn't diminish him as a person. It doesn't doesn't make him less. But I think he's going to be an object lesson for us to look at. A wasted life. This world has nothing for us. Nothing. Verse 16, length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand, riches and honor. Length of days meaning two things, life not cut short by sin and debauchery, as we saw in the last section, and a second application is eternal life. The wicked are eternally dying, and yet never able to die. That's what hell is. Hell is eternally dying, but never able to die. But we're told the one that does the will of God, he abides forever. Always living. Length of days. Verse 17. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Peace with God and pleasantness. The Christian life is not a bed of roses. It's a war zone. Understand that. I think the best application of this is that it's Godward. Peace with God. That's what we have. When we grab a hold of wisdom, when we grab a hold of Christ, we have peace with God. And by the way, even though the, the Christian life is not a, not a bed of roses, it's a war zone, Christ is with us in the battle. There's peace in the conflict. Understand that. I've been through gut-wrenching times of hardness and sadness, and Christ was there. And I sang songs. Though I cried out of the depths of my soul, I found myself singing hymns. You know why? Because there's peace in the midst of the storm when you have the wisdom of Christ. The path of wisdom of the path of the wisdom of Christ leads to the tree of life where we eat and live forever. Again, we're told that the one with God's wisdom is happy. Verse 19. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding he hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. By wisdom, which speaks of Christ, God created and maintains the world. By his wisdom and power the depths are broken up. I think possibly referring to the flood. By him the natural processes take place. You realize that Christ holds this world together? Everything. If our world was slightly off its rotation, life couldn't exist. He holds everything completely where it needs to be. NASA gets everyone all worried on the news, don't they, when there's a comet coming towards the Earth? This could be the end of all life. The comet is exactly where God wants it to be. And it will do exactly what God wants it to do. And we have promises of God that we know it's not going to destroy the world. So there's peace. He holds our atoms together. He gives us our breath. Our heart beats because Christ allows it to beat. We woke up today because Christ allows us to wake up. This is the one whom we are to seek after, to find, and to take for ourselves as a possession. To find Christ is to find wisdom. The wisdom of God leads to the path of... Let me say this. The wisdom of God leads to the path of wisdom at the which at the end of which is eternal life Christ the wisdom of God leads us to the path of God I am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except by me but he leads us on the path of eternal life he leads us to God whom he has reconciled us to in his own body through his death so the message this evening, seek Christ. The sum of God's wisdom and understanding, he is the path of life. I have this recurring theme I'm doing every week where I'm pleading with you guys to forsake the world and surrender fully to Christ. And you say, why are you doing that? 
Because the world so relentlessly calls us to itself, doesn't it? It doesn't stop. It pulls at us all the time. It wants our allegiance. It wants our submission. Reject it. Seek Christ. Possess Christ. He's worth more than the silver and the gold of this world. He's a better investment for eternity. Seek Christ. Don't worry about what's going on out here. Say, are you worried about what's going on around the world? I'm not worried a bit. Because wherever I am, Christ will be. Wherever Christ is, I'm promised to be. And there's peace. Seek Christ. Don't seek fame. Don't seek wealth. Don't seek position. Seek Christ. Seek Christ. He'll take care of the rest. He's promised that to us. He is the wisdom and the path of God. Seek Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time together. I ask you, Lord, to bless your word. I am far too often just feeble in how I deliver the message, I think. Sometimes my thoughts don't come out like I intend them to, and that's fine. May your Holy Spirit apply the word to each of us as we have need. Above all, Lord, you know my heart. I want our church to be a church of full surrender. A full surrender. I don't want to give this world a foothold in this place. And my job for the rest of my life is to plead with people to run to Christ and from this world. And I'm going to do that. Because I've tasted of this world. It's got nothing to offer. It's bitter. It's empty. Lord, may we seek Christ. May we seek him in his fullness. I want to know him and love him better than I do even at this moment. Teach me to love him. Teach me to surrender to him. I thank you, Lord, for your word, for your salvation, for your son, for all of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed.